0: I welcome you if you're visiting with us today. Thank you so much for being here. It means a lot to us. My name is Kyle. I am the pastor here and uh, look forward to diving into this text today. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to, uh, in James, to James chapter 1 in those. We'll get started on that here in a minute. A couple of quick announcements, very quick. Uh, if you have not noticed uh, or, or seen the Facebook announcement, there has been a new website put up. Everybody said amen, right? Uh, It's been a long time coming. Josh Burns did a lot of work on that. Y'all give Josh a big hand. We don't recognize Josh enough. Josh hates to be recognized, so we need to do it more often. Uh, Anyway, it's nlcm.church, nlcm.church, if you uh, would like to check that out. We encourage that. Uh, another thing uh, that I want to talk about is we had a very strong start to home groups, and uh, that's exciting for me. That doesn't happen if you guys don't show up. Uh, very grateful for the leaders, very grateful for the hosts, but I knew they would be there on Wednesday. I wasn't quite sure about everybody who signed up, so I'm very grateful uh, that you guys made that a priority this week, jumped into that, and uh, just head on. So thank you uh, for that. One other thing that you may have noticed when you came in or were pulling in, if you if you entered Arkansas Street down here, uh, is that the Kid Life building is for sale. There's a sign in the yard. There's a. Uh, it's listed on the internet. That all happened uh, over the last couple of weeks, and um, wanted to let you know that we do not own this building or that building. Okay, so this isn't. Uh, this isn't new life liquidating assets here. This is uh, uh, this is happening whether we want it to or not. And, and so we are preparing for this. We have been preparing for this. We've been uh, announcing for a while now, just kind of keeping it before you, that we are working on a long-term plan, right? A long-term facility that would suit our needs. So now on top of that, we need to work on kind of a short-term plan also. And so what I wanna do is I just wanna ask you to pray for us. There's a couple of ideas that are being tossed around uh, among the leadership and the, the building team that we had uh, put together for uh, the long-term plan uh, about getting everything up here for a short season. How I many you know that would be amazing, right? Let's move all the kids up here. That would make me feel better. My kids down there, that'd make all of you feel better also that have kids down there. Uh, And I think it would just be uh, better all the way around. So we're looking into that, but y'all pray for God's wisdom. Uh, Continue to pray for God's provision in those things, and we'll continue pursuing uh, the best option. And hopefully we can roll something out to you as far as the short term goes uh, very soon. Uh, I would like to do that sooner than later. I I hate to try to squeeze all that in when you get a 30-day to move notice, right? Anyway, so trying to get out in front of that. And I think that's about it for those uh, pre-sermon announcements. Uh, Last week we started James, and and the reason we're going through James is because we want to examine the relationship between faith and works, and this is what James does so well. He's going to show us that there is, in fact, a relationship between our faith and the works that that produces, and that, in fact, our faith should be made visible, right? Faith should be made visible, not only in my life, but for others to see Jesus in my life as well. And so we wanna, uh, we're gonna examine that. So last week, James just, he kinda, he starts off talking about trials and temptations and the the early church uh, was under great persecution, nothing like uh, what we experience here in America, uh, but a lot like what our brothers and sisters uh, overseas experience on a daily basis these are the things the church is going through. He's going to write to them, encouraging them in that persecution, encouraging them in those trials that they're going through uh, to keep looking to Christ and to understand that Christ wants to use not only the trials you're going through, but the temptations that you have to deepen your faith, to help mature you and grow you up in the faith. Oftentimes we want to pray that our circumstances change when we're going through a rough time. God, please remove me from this circumstance. But if you read throughout God's Word, you read even just that little portion in James that we looked at last week, what we see is that God's not normally about just removing you from the bad circumstances. God's more about taking you through those bad circumstances and letting you grow up in those things and helping you do that. So if you missed last week's sermon, I'm not going to preach it again right now. Uh, It was a good one. You can check it out on the website. Uh, It'll be available there. Today, Uh, We're going to talk more about this faith made visible and how practical Christianity has to be. It must be informed by the word of truth, which is the gospel, which is God's word. Uh, And then it has to be and must be characterized by both hearing God's word, hearing the gospel and doing God's word, doing the gospel, doing those things that are commanded, that, that truth that we see. From Jesus, and so uh, we're going to talk about hearers and being both hearers and doers uh, today. And Jesus is going to emphasize obedience, maybe even more than what James is emphasizing it here. Uh, Jesus in John chapter fourteen says, "If you love me, keep my commandments." If you love me, keep my commandments. And one of the most telling things is Matthew twenty-eight, and this is what we've all been instructed to do: is to go therefore into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then what? teach them to do all that I've commanded you. It's not just teach them all that I've commanded you, it's show them how to do the things that I've commanded you, because why? Our faith must be made visible. If it's not, we're just simply hearing these things, and I don't want to get ahead of myself this morning, but what we see from Christ and what we'll see from James today is that obedience marks the true child of God. You can write that down in your margin somewhere if you want uh, in your notes. Obedience marks the true child of God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. We thank you for this opportunity to be in your presence, to hear your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit speak to us today. Uh, This has to be more than just my words and my thoughts. This has to be uh, your thoughts and your words and your power at work and here, Father, through the Holy Spirit, uh, for us to ever see change in our lives. And so we invite your Spirit here to work in us. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. Real quick, in your worship guide, if you're planning on attending a home group this week, on the back of that thing, there's a doers of the word section. Uh, You can take that this week. Answer those questions, and you'll be prepared for your home group on Wednesday night. So I encourage you guys to dive into that. If you're not going to go to a home group, not interested, do it for your own personal uh, benefit as well, your own personal study. Amen? All right, so a moment ago I said, obedience marks the true child of God. Now, if obedience marks the true child of God, I think the next question is, how do we get there? Like, how do I get to become, how do I become this obedient child of God? Uh, and I want to encourage you with this. It's a process. Like, nobody wakes up tomorrow morning and becomes a perfect child of God, just like your kids will not wake up tomorrow morning and be perfect children. Everybody said, oh, goodness, right? Uh, Because we want that. We would love for every command that we give to be followed. And so it is a lot like raising kids. And Patricia and I, we have to encourage each other uh, daily. I wish I could say weekly, but it's not even that. It's daily uh, in this, because what, we, what we've seen in our own kids, and maybe your kids are perfect, that's awesome, if they are, I need help, my kids are not, but what we see is that uh, their obedience is also a process. They have to be reminded constantly, boys, do not jump on the furniture, boys, do not punch each other in the face, boys, stop hitting each other, Stop. you know what I'm saying, I mean... It's constantly, we're telling these things, and at, at, at some point you're like, man, is my kid just not real smart, right? Because it feels that way, and I know that that's not the case. I know that my kid is extremely smart, and, and what it is is we're just drawn towards disobedience. And without anything to keep us accountable and help us be obedient, we'll just run towards disobedience constantly. So Patricia and I, uh, we're encouraging each other in this. We're reminding each other that we may have to say something 77 times before it's finally heard, right? I mean, you know, that's completion, right? So uh, And and before they get it, and it's not always fun, but what we have learned is that obedience depends on hearing the command and doing it. I cannot expect my kid to just do something Good or just be obedient. I have to issue a command for my kid to follow, much like Jesus and God through God's Word are going to issue commands for His children, you and I, to follow. Otherwise, we don't know how to be good children of God. We don't know how to be a true child of God and for our faith to be made visible on our own. We're just not wired that way. And so uh, what we find in doing that and what Patricia and I see in our own kids is, man, this obedience thing, it's going to be a journey. And we're in this for the long haul with our children, right? We're going to keep reminding, keep telling. We're going to keep, and sometimes reminding is discipline, right? And and we're going to keep doing these things to kind of reaffirm these commands that we've issued and these things that we expect from our children much in the same way, God does it so much more perfectly than I do, uh, but much in the same way that God will deal with us also. And so a child's inability to, com- to follow a command, or should I say my, my children's inability to follow a command, is eerily similar to my inability to follow the commands of Christ. To, to be a good child of God and to do these things well. And so it's easy to read things. Like 1 Corinthians 13 rocked my world a few years ago, and it was these verses about love, hopes all things, love believes all things, and love bears all things, and it was easy for me leading up to that a few years ago to just read that and think, man, that sounds good. I'm going to underline that because, man, I can, put that on a, I can put that on a picture in my house, or I can print it off and hang it in my office. I, I really like the way that sounds. And then the day came where I had to live that out. Or worse than that, I was being reminded by God and the Holy Spirit that I wasn't living that out that I wasn't hoping all things, bearing all things, believing all things when it came to a specific relationship uh, that I had. And, And so God reminded me of that. And what I realized then is that, man, this is so much more difficult to do like it's easy for me to just hear God's word, so much more difficult to do what God's asking me to do, to walk in those things. So you can think of scriptures like love your enemies, right? How many of you love to do that? How about perse- or pray for those who persecute you? Yeah, that's not fun either, right? What about sell all of your possessions and give to the poor? Nobody's signing up for that either, right? There's just so many commands that we read in God's word, things that are good for us, but they're going to take, they feel like they're going to take something from us and we don't want that. And so we will. We struggle like children with obedience. We struggle just like your children do with obedience to God and what He's asking us uh, to do. And so I I think what I see in my life is that I'm very much childlike in my disobedience to the Father. Like I want to be reminded, I want Him to love me, uh, but when it comes to those commands that kind of push against what I really want, uh, I don't like that. and and I rebel against it, and I'll try to ignore it, or just act like I didn't see it, like uh, I'm not listening, you know. I'm just not trying to hear those things often. And and I think the reason is, 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 uh, is that we know it's going to cost us something. So when it comes to God's Word, all of us in here most likely will like it on Facebook, we'll share it on Facebook, we may tweet it, we may amen it in church, mostly just when I ask y'all to amen, right? Not, not many of you are going to amen without being asked, and that's okay. Uh, and, and we'll kind of cheer God's Word on, all while really ignoring the fact that we're not interested in doing it. And man, that's tough. Like, that's tough for me to admit in my life, and this is what I was wrestling this with this week as I'm studying for this. Like, Man, I, I struggle so much doing what God's asking me to do, so much. And I think that you and I are going to be alike in that. I think that you're going to struggle in that also, and and the reason is we know it's going to cost something. It may cost my comfort, it may cost my time, it may cost my treasure, it may cost my desires. At the very least, I'm going to have to take what I desire and move it to the side and allow God to put His desires in my heart. And I just don't always want to do that. Amen. And, and I think we're all very similar in this. Um, James is going to give us, he's going to encourage us here that obedience is a process. And so he's going to kind of lay out a process for obedience. And so today we're going to ask the question, how do we respond to truth? Last week we asked the question, how do we respond to trials? This week we're asking, how do we respond to truth? And number one, you can write this down in your notes, is we hear the word. We hear the word. Before we can ever respond to the truth, we have to hear the truth first. And so James 119 through 21 says this. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. If not, it'll be on the screen. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So right out of the gate, we have be quick to listen, slow to speak. And what those words quick to listen is really saying, he's saying, hurry up and listen. Hurry up and listen. Or in other words, he's saying, hurry up, be quiet and listen. Hurry up, be quiet and listen. Now, that is good advice for a conversation. And chances are, you've always heard this text when it comes to your relationships and the way that you converse one to another, right? That we should be quick to listen, slow to speak. All the wives in here said amen, right? And and because a husband's not good at this, we're we're not. Uh, Just ask my wife, I'm not. Um, And so quick to listen, slow to speak, good advice for conversation. But what James is really talking about and I've got to give David Platt uh, props for this because he kind of uh, drew this out of the text in a commentary I was reading this week, and and I loved it. What James is really talking about is our approach to God's word in this moment. He's he's talking about hearing and doing the word, and so what he's saying, what James is saying, is approach the word humbly. You see, many of times we we many times we often come to God's word saying like this is what I hope it means, or this is what I want it to say, or if there's a verse in here that says something that I don't want it to say, I'm just not going to read it again, right? I'm just going to ignore that one because I, I don't like what it says. Like, I love the idea that the Lord leads me beside still waters, right? That He, he makes me lay down, lie down in green pastures. Like, that's, that's awesome. Put that on my coffee cup and let me carry that around. I want to know more about that. But what's not awesome are, like the ones I talked about earlier, pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Bear all things with the, person, with the people you love. Love bears all things. Love hopes all things. And, and, it's, and then we're like, man, I don't, I don't like what God's Word is telling me right now. I don't like it. And, and so we just kind of ignore it. We'll approach it saying, this is what I want it to say. And we come talking, not listening. We come with our mouths open. And we're not quick to listen. We're not slow to speak. We're, we're very quick to interpret God's word the way that we think it should apply to our lives. And when it doesn't, we just ignore it. And so it is a lot like watching people argue. You know, I I can't even watch. I I just can't stand to watch the news anymore because even in the sports world now, it seems like everybody just wants to line up a few people around a table and have them yell at each other about things. And I'm like, man, I get enough of this in my Facebook feed. I'm not going to watch it too. And so I just kind of ignore it all because I don't like watching people argue. Why? Well, it's not really that they're arguing. I think arguing can be good. I think uh, strong dialogue can be helpful but when there's actual dialogue, right? Not somebody waiting for you to take a breath so they can yell or interject their point. And this is the way that we come to God's word. We're going to read it and we're going to see what it says and then we're going to interject. Well, I think what he's really trying to say is this. I think what he really means is this, or this is contrary to what it says over here, and so we're just going to disregard that. Oh, that's Old Testament, so we don't have to obey those things anymore. And and we just start coming to it with these uh, preconceived ideas and notions about what God's Word says for our lives, and we we never allow it to change us. We're like the person in the argument who's not listening to the other side. We're just waiting to tell our story. We're waiting to get our point in there waiting to throw the zinger out there that shuts the whole conversation down. And this is just not the right way to approach God's Word. This is true of God's people throughout history. Instead of humbly listening to God and following what He wants, we resist it. Just look at the Israelites in Exodus. God is doing miraculous things in their lives, and they're just constantly going against that. They're just constantly... um, ignoring what God wants, or they'll, he'll do something miraculous, and then the next day they're making a cow out of gold to worship, right? I mean, we are the Israelites. We, we do that same thing in the way that we respond to God so often. This is, uh, like I said, true of God's people. And in verse 21, he's going to say to approach God's word by putting away all filthiness and wickedness. Uh, which literally creates this picture of taking off dirty clothes. So it's this idea of coming in from your favorite mud ride. And instead of walking through your house with these dirty clothes, you're going to leave them on the porch as quick as you can, right? Like I'm stripping all these dirty clothes off of me and and I'm going to leave them here. This is the way he's saying to approach God's word. Approach it like you're a child about to enter your mama's house with dirty clothes. You know better, right? And and so I'm going to take off this nastiness, this filthiness, these preconceived ideas that the world has provided for me. And I'm going to approach God's word humbly and with meekness, knowing that God God teaches me, I don't teach God. Amen? That what He says is truth and what I think is truth is often wrong. It's often misdirected. And so I want His help. So I approach with meekness, with hope humility. Uh, He's saying, take off the sinful, selfish ideas of the world. Come humbly to the word. The goal is never to get around God's word as we're so often trying to do. The goal is to listen humbly to God's word and let him teach us. And so this is especially true when God's word is difficult, like today's word. All right. And so my voice is going to go up and down with the rain. So if I start yelling at you and it's stopped raining, y'all just yell back at me and say, hey, it quit raining. Okay. Okay because uh, I want you to be able to hear this. Uh, verse 21 provides some good news. In verse 21, we see these words. <laughs> we see these words, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. If you have your Bibles, just underline that word implanted word because that is huge. God has literally put his word On our hearts. As we see in Jeremiah 31, he's going to say, "I I have written my word on the tablet of their hearts. And then he has placed his spirit in our hearts, as we see in Ezekiel 36, where he says so. And then what we see is that the spirit of God through the word that's on our heart moves us to obey what God commands. So again, it's the implanted word that saves us. It's not me mustering up the ability to obey. It's that God has taken care of all this for me if I'll just trust Him. If I'll just trust that His word is there, that His spirit is there, and that He wants to move me towards obedience. Um, God planted this word in our hearts, and what we see is that our hearts find life in His word. And I've mentioned this before that God's Word is often compared to like a road map, right? Many of you have heard that, the, the road map question. There, there are maps in God's Word. I don't know if you've seen them. They're at the back. Um, there's a lot of maps back here that you can look at. But God's Word is so much more than a road map. God's Word, as I've said before, is more like oxygen for your lungs, right? I mean, you cannot live a true spiritual life without God's Word, in the same way that you cannot breathe without oxygen. It's just not possible. And we try, and we try, and we try, and we fail over and over and over again because we just cannot do it on our own. James is clear, we're not saved by working. This isn't a works righteousness passage. The gospel is not about works righteousness righteousness you're not saved by your working what we see is that you've received the word the implanted word which saves you and then because of that the implanted word within you moves you towards action and so the whole heart of James is this we work and we make faith visible but we only do it by the word that is at work within our hearts amen It's not because we can just do this. It's because God's already working in us. Verse 18, last week, gave us this. It said, this word has given us life. It's a life-giving word of Christ. And so as you accept and submit to his word, your soul experiences the depths of salvation that are available to you. And so I urge you, don't underestimate the power and the importance of God's word in your life. Don't underestimate it. I think we're intimidated by God's word so often. Do not underestimate what's happening. And so I just want to ask this question Do you long for God's word? Do you long to read it? Do you long to spend time in it? I'm not trying to condemn you here, I'm asking. These are good questions of evaluation for ourselves. Have we made God's word valuable? The second thing I want to tell you about is we absorb the Word. We absorb the Word. James 1, through 25 says this, But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who intent, who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself uh, and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, this law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his what? Doing. Not in your hearing. You'll be blessed in your doing. And so we are to absorb the word. This word these words, look intently, mean you stop and you take a close look at what is in front of you. It's the same idea of the first time I laid eyes on Patricia, right? I stopped and I took a close look at Patricia. Not in a lustful way. I'm just saying I stopped and took a close look at Patricia. She caught my eye. Most of you can say that about your spouse, correct? And this is what happens. It's this idea of stopping and taking a close look. And I think a good example is the difference between men and women when we wake up in the morning. When a man wakes up in the morning, he's going to stumble in, by the grace of God, into the mirror. And I'm going to wash my face a little bit, and then I'm going to look up into the mirror. And and most men, not me, but most men are going to have hair coming out of every crevice and crack of their body. And they're going to have hair going everywhere. And they're going to look into that mirror, and they're going to say, I look real good, right? And, And we're just okay with that. We're okay with not looking good, and we think, man, we look good, and we're just going to walk away. We're going to be all right with that. Now, a woman, right? Right, men? A a woman is going to spend... Time in front of the mirror. She's going to look at her reflection. She's going to see that an eyelash is out of place and she's just going to do whatever she can to fix that. If she cannot fix it, she'll pluck it on the scene. I've seen Patricia do this. It's insane. And then they're going to look at their eyebrows and they're going to do the same thing. They're going to look at their hair. And if any piece of hair is out of place, we're going to start over, right? Just all the way over. And we're going to refix hair until it's correct. We're going to look at our clothes and we're going to have a full body mirror for that. A man doesn't even know what a full body mirror is, right? They're like, just me if I've got something in my teeth and I'm good to go. They're going to look at a full body mirror. They're going to check their clothes out, make sure everything's right and good. And if it's not, they'll change three or four times. This is just what happens. They're looking intently into the mirror at themselves and saying, I've got some things I need to fix. God's word and what James says and what's really kind of an insane illustration James says that God's word is like a mirror and you hold it up in front of your face and you look into it, the perfect law, the law of liberty, and you see what it is that God's commanding you to do and you see the nastiness in your life that prevents you from being able to do that which God is commanding you to do. And like the big burly man who looks in the mirror and walks away, this is what we do spiritually. We look at what God's trying to show us, and we see it, and I'm like, man, that sin's nasty. Let me just walk over here and forget about that. Let me just forget that. Like, that's gross. I don't want to look at that anymore. And we need to be more like the woman who's going to look intently at my reflection in God's Word and see those things which are out of place and say, I need to spend some time in my life and fix those things. I need to let the Holy Spirit work His Word that implanted word in me, let it work itself out of me to see those things fixed. I don't want to reflect these things anymore. And so we come humbly before God's word. We ask him to teach us what it is he would have us to do. And where we're off in that, we say, Lord, I submit to you. I submit to you. You are my God. You are my king. I trust you wholly in this. And we're asking him to fix us. So we don't want to forget God's word. Deuteronomy six and Deuteronomy eight are going to provide some some good things here. Deuteronomy six says this: "This hero is the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Praise God. You shall teach them diligently to your children." And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. When should you not talk about them? Never, right? And then verse eight, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. What's he saying? Remember God's word. Remember it. Think about it. Meditate on it. Teach it to your children. Let it be a part of your day. Take it wherever you go think about God's Word. Amen? And then Deuteronomy 8 is going to provide a bit of a warning. And I think this is more what we need to hear today. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good, uh, uh, for the good land He has given you. Now, this is the state most of us reside in. We're just fat and happy, right? We're happy with life. We're grateful for the way things are going, and we just don't think about God very often and lest things get real bad. Here's what uh, Deuteronomy is going to say. He's going to say, Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I commanded you today. Verse 12, Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied... Then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness, which its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Let's keep going. Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. So, what's, what, what is the author saying here? He's saying to remember God's word. Remember what God's word says that he has done for you, what he's done in your life. How it's Him that has provided every good thing in your life. And do not be the prideful man who looks down at His hands and says, I am the man. <laughs> Look at what I've done for myself. Look at what I've accomplished in my life. It's God, as we saw last week, as we're seeing this week, who produces anything good in you. It doesn't come from us naturally. It's just not possible. We're not this way. And so Psalm 19 is going to say, talking about the Word, for any of us who might answer and say, Kyle, I just don't have time, Psalm 19 says, the Word is more precious than gold. God's Word is more precious than gold. So I think the question, the thing is not that I don't have time for it, it's that I don't value it. We make time for the things we value, right? Right? We just make times for the things we value. And so what we see is that I can build time in my schedule for TV shows, for scrolling through social media, for going out, for doing whatever, for any hobby that I have. I can make time so easily for those things because I value them, and I will not make time for God's Word because I just don't value it. I think we are busy. I think all of you are busy. I don't doubt your busyness. What I've seen in my life is that I'm never too busy to get into God's Word. It's that I value things over God's Word, and so I don't get into God's Word. I just don't build time in my schedule for it. Maybe some of you need to set up an hourly planner for each day and just mark a block every week for each day. This is my time in God's Word. spend 20 minutes here, 30 minutes here, whatever. Whatever works for you, whatever you can build in. I will say this, that only listening on Sundays is this fool-in-the-mirror illustration that James gives us. Only listening on Sundays, because what happens is most of us, like had I not done a recap earlier of last week, you may not be able to tell me what we talked about last Sunday, right? And that's not really a reflection of me. It's not really a reflection on anybody. That's just the way we operate, right? There's just so much going on, we're processing so much information, it's hard to remember what we talked about the week before. Now, if you went to a home group, maybe that helped you remember. But what I'm saying is, is that most of us are going to look on Sunday morning and then we'll forget by Monday, maybe even by Sunday evening, maybe by lunchtime, we're going to forget what God's word says. And so what good is this? This is why we do home groups. This is why we do the home group guides that you have. We want to encourage you and encourage you to encourage one another to hide God's word in your hearts that you would be able to produce the fruit of that which you have sown. Amen? If we don't, if we're not hiding God's word in our hearts, what we see is that we're going to see sin in this mirror of God's Word, which is God's Word, we're going to see that sin in our lives. Then we're going to see the grace of Christ, which covers that sin and enables us to overcome those things. But we're going to leave both as if we never saw them because we're just going to forget them. We're not going to think about them. We're not going to meditate on them. That's not going to become part of our day. And I'll say, this is dangerous. This is dangerous for your spiritual life. It's dangerous. It's reckless even. The third thing that we see happen in this process is we obey the word. The whole theme of James is verse twenty-two. This is the theme of the whole book. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. And and you underline this part: deceiving yourselves, deceiving yourselves. So first we hear God's word. Second we absorb God's word. Third we obey God's word. And and so. What we see, James is saying, is you have not really listened if you haven't obeyed because the Word produces action. If there's no action, then there's no submission to God's Word. There's no acceptance uh, to what it's saying. So you're blind then in that moment to your true spiritual condition. Like if you claim to have heard, you claim to have received, you claim to have accepted His Word, yet you fail to act on it, you're only deceiving yourself. Matthew 7.21 will back me up on this. Uh, to see that this is what jesus says not what kyle says amen not interested in what kyle has to say i want to know what jesus is telling me verse 21 not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of the father uh, the will of my father who is in heaven so not everybody who says lord lord enters but the people who are doing what god says amen then in verse 24 he's going to expound on this a little further this is jesus He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and the beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not what? Do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell, the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So this is what, Je- this is what Jesus is teaching, this is what James is teaching. He's saying if you build on listening without obeying, one day your life will end in eternal destruction. And the problem is, is you're going to be deceiving yourselves. The danger of this is you deceive yourselves all the way up to that day because you're hearing God's Word, but you're not acting on it. And so you think, in hearing God's Word, that I'm crying out, Lord, Lord, but I'm not applying the things that God's teaching me. And so Jesus says, you're like the man who builds his house on the sand. And the foundation will not sustain you. It will fall out from under you, and I don't think that a lot of people are going to realize this until that last day, and that breaks my heart. I don't want this for you. you. You guys are people that I love and pray for dearly and often, and I don't want this for your life. I don't want you to walk around beat down by God's Word and living under legalism, but that's not what James is teaching us here either. James is just simply saying, your faith should be made visible. If we say we believe these things, we hear God's word, it should produce fruit in our lives. Let me try to wrap this up. So we're going to tend to act on the things only that we agree with, right? The things that are convenient. But when when, when, when this word confronts us, when it challenges us, when it convicts us, or God forbid, when it tries to change us, We're going to ignore it. We're going to run the other way. And this is not the Christian life. This is not the life of a disciple, a true disciple of Christ. A true disciple, the the true Christian life is more about the word being planted in your heart. You receive it like oxygen to your lungs, hearing and absorbing it. And by by God's grace that moves your heart, you obey it. You live it out. You build this into your life. You make this a part of who you are because this is what God is working inside of you. This is the Christian life, a life that is doing what God commands. This is what marked his disciples then, and it's what marks his disciples now. I don't think the world fears people who say they hear the word of God. I don't think Satan fears people who say they hear the word of God. I think what the world fears, what Satan fears, what the enemy is out to get are those who do the Word of God. And so the command is there to do it. This can feel burdensome. This is why many of us just kind of sit here silent, and I can see the stone-look faces, because I know that it feels like a burden to have to carry this weight, and if we're not careful, it could even feel legalistic. And this is not what James is communicating. It's not what I want you to hear today. James one i I'm going to point you back to that. He says, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. What does it say? Let's read it together. One, two, three. He will be blessed in his doing. Be blessed in his doing. James says it's not legalistic. Don't run away. God's Word is good. It's the perfect law. This just means that it's understood now through Jesus. It's not just the law of Moses anymore. It's the law of Christ who has won. uh, He's won for us freedom from condemnation through the law. And so uh, what he's saying is the Word's God's word is good, the perfect law is understood through Jesus, which means that the words and the truth of Christ that free us from slavery to sin and this world are the words and the truths that we should obey, that we're being asked to obey. And the truth, when you obey the words and the truth of Jesus, James says, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. And so I think there's a real danger in church today. And that we shouldn't stop at Jesus loves you just the way you are, no matter what you did. There's glorious truth there, and those things are true. There's glorious truth in Jesus saving me from my sins. There's glorious truth in Jesus loving me when I have nothing in me to deserve his love. Amen? How many you know that's glorious? It's good. But how do we understand all this? How do we understand a law that brings freedom and obedience and the obedience that God commands? If we understand this concept, it kind of brings the whole passage together. If blessing comes through obedience, how do we obey? It's not by your own ability. It's through hearing. It's through absorbing. It's through focusing. It's through remembering. It's through hiding God's word on my heart and in my mind and trusting that His Word is good. And as you do that, the life-giving Word begins to work in you and through you, and it moves you to follow God's commands. This is why Jesus was able to say, if you love me, obey my commands, because what Jesus knows is that love love for Christ produces a desire in us to make Him happy, to bring glory to His name. Much like most of us, wanted to please our fathers or our parents or my children desire to please me. There's one thing that Wells has figured out at four years old is that when he does something wrong and he gets in trouble, it grieves me. And I want good for him, and he knows that. And so I think a lot of his motivation lately is let me do the right thing because that's what makes my dad happy with me. I get less spankings that way, right? Right? I think for some of you, it's tough to follow God's word and you're just hesitating to do it. And I'm just going to say do it, right? My advice would be just do it. Know what God's word says and follow it. Trust that it is blessing and life and not curse and death. I think there's some of you in here that it may just be blatant disobedience. Like I know what God's word says, but I really like doing what I'm doing. I really like going against God's Word. And so you're putting off God's Word. And and so the Word that says care for the poor, the words that say turn from gossip, turn from pornography, be reconciled to your spouse, uh, you hear those things and you're ignoring it because it goes against what you want. It goes against the natural desires of your own life and you're not willing to give that up yet. I think there may be some of us who just, man, it goes against the cultural norm. Like, the world's not doing that, so I don't really want to stick out. I'm I'm fearful. I'm afraid to follow what God's asking me to do. I want all of you, no matter where you stand in those scenarios, I want all of you to understand, in the end, all that matters is that we obey God's Word. All that matters is that we obey God's Word, that we trust what He says, and we do what He's asking. And so regardless of those consequences, regardless of those circumstances, this is the mark of faith. It's the mark of a true child of God, obedience. And so don't be so worried about the message that you don't move. Don't be so worried about what God's asking that you don't move. Uh, If you're hearing the word, if you're absorbing yourself in God's word, then you can be confident that God's saving word, which has been implanted in your heart, heart will not only save you, but it's going to lead and guide you to obey what Christ commands and that that produces life and not death. And so I encourage you with this, hear and listen to his word, absorb his word, and when he speaks, obey his word. Amen. Man, Would you stand to your feet this morning?